0: Welcome to Mate and Dates, a podcast for young people, by young people. We're a team of five from across Sydney and we'll be talking about the experiences of young people becoming independent and building and maintaining healthy relationships. Before we start, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on Kamaregul Land and we extend this acknowledgement to wherever you may be listening to this podcast from. I'm your host, Ed, and today I'm with Sarah. Hello. How are you, Sarah?
1: I'm doing all right. Yeah, look, I'm feeling a little bit nervous about this episode just because, you know, I'm sort of feeling the weight of what we're going to be talking about. It's such a serious topic and it affects a lot of people you know, one in six women have experienced physical or sexual violence by a current or former partner. Um, And for men, it is one in 16. And one woman a week and one man a month is killed by a current or former partner. So yeah, it is a really big topic. And I just want this episode to be one where people are informed about what domestic violence is. And yeah, I want people to want to develop healthy habits as young people in the way they relate to one another. Yeah. So that's how I'm feeling. How are you?
0: Yeah. I'm quite, I'm quite nervous as well. Um, it's not really a topic that I've had much experience in or, and that comfortable speaking about, but obviously that then makes me excited as well because it allows me and you and hopefully the listener to have the opportunity to learn from our guest about how unhealthy and abusive relationships are formed.
1: Thanks for sharing that, Ed. So in this episode, uh, we're going to be talking to Greg, who is a family relationships and individuals therapist specialising in domestic and family violence. But before we go into the interview, this is a trigger warning that we will be talking about what domestic violence is and why it happens. We will be debunking common misconceptions and defining terms such as gaslighting and love bombing. So please be mindful as you listen to this um, episode. And we also have a resource list in the episode description. So please do go check that out.
0: Now is the time to start building healthy habits of relating to each other so that we don't use our power to deal with our own self-doubt and insecurities. We hope to walk away from this conversation, being able to recognize when we or the people around us are in unhealthy or abusive relationships. And we hope this can make a small change for those who are listening or for those around us.
1: Hi, Greg. Um, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do?
2: I am a um, family relationships individuals therapist. I've been um, counselling Uh, for a long time with a particular specialisation in um, domestic and family violence. So I'd like to put the whole area of domestic violence within to this particular context. For young people, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in their life and they're trying to negotiate relationships in the midst of that. The first thing is that it's a time of trying to find out who you are. I I would call it a continuum of identity and self-worth And so at one end of the continuum, you've got people who have a real genuine self-belief and they have a real genuine self-confidence, a clear sense of who they are, and they really are comfortable within their own skin. But then you go to the other end of the continuum and you've got people who are filled with self-doubt, shame, insecurity. They don't know who they are, and many of them don't actually want to know who they are because they don't like who they are. They don't like who they think they are and they actually hate themselves. So what I guess I'm saying is this is the first continuum and all all young people are some, I mean, everybody, not just young people, everyone's somewhere on that particular continuum. Not many people are towards the end of positive confidence. The second continuum is what I would call the interpersonal skills continuum. And that's kind of like how, how well you relate at one end of the continuum, you've got people entering into conflict with somebody else. They can interact with others at a deeper level. They know themselves, and they can talk about themselves, and, and, and even at a vulnerable level. And they're comfortable with emotions, and they're comfortable with other people's emotions. But down the other end of that continuum, you've got people who really run away from conflict. They avoid conflict, and they always have a defensive, protective shield up they have no clear idea of what a healthy interaction actually is. Often it's because they've never seen it. They've not had it modeled to them. They've not experienced it. So they really want to know how to have good relationships but have no idea. So that's this continuum. And, again, I find most people are towards the bottom end. And then you've got the power continuum. On one end, there's the people who have a, a high sense of power and those who have no power. And the thing that's really interesting about power is that the distribution of power is not fair. It's not fair at all because a lot of the power that people have is actually not earned at all. It's just given to them. And for those who are powerless, their powerlessness powerless is not because they've done anything to deserve it. It's just because they're on, they're on the wrong team. There's a certain power that comes from belonging, just being being born into the dominant majority race, the, the dominant majority culture. There's power that comes from being part of the dominant gender. There's power that comes from being part of the dominant sexuality. There's power that comes from being born into a wealthy family. And it also, the, the thing about a continuum is it's sort of highlights the idea that it's fluid. It's not as though a person is just sort of stuck at a particular place. It's not realistic to kind of have this either or kind of mentality.
0: Have you seen young people sort of struggle to place themselves on that continuum and maybe self-reflect, maybe my self-worth is lacking? Is, is that a problem for young people, of being able to recognize where they sit on that spectrum?
2: That's a great question, Ed, because what I what I find happens is that particularly in the area of, of the self-confidence um, continuum, that's often associated with the word shame. And, and, and the word shame is sort of like the global word that describes this negative kind of self-view. And what we know about shame is that it is the most painful emotion. And because it is the most painful emotion, people do everything they can to avoid it. And so that's why oftentimes they don't have to think about it. to sort of actually acknowledge their shame and ask where they sit on that continuum of worth is a painful thing for them to do.
0: I think that's really important to sort of reiterate that it's, it, you have to lean into those difficult conversations. Yes. We had quite a lot of listeners write in and say, as someone who may not necessarily be in the, Abusive relationship, but recognises that their friends are. How do they then approach that and start the, those difficult conversations?
2: So this is where I mean, I'm, I'm sorry it took so long, but to to creating the context now to move into understanding how how violence occurs within those contexts, and and I guess there, I want to get to your to your question, but I I mm-hmm. the, the I want to sort of look at how DV plays out according to those three continuums. Yeah. Okay. So so my, my sense is that everybody has a has a self-doubt and question marks about their own worth. It's normal. There's nothing unusual about that. People struggle with their interpersonal skills. It's a skill you need to learn, and if you don't have anyone to teach you, you're not going to learn it, and it's not your fault. And I'm not wanting to blame parents because often parents, they can't pass on what they don't have themselves. This is a this is a multi-generational, intergenerational thing. So, what happens then in relationships is I'll give you three scenarios. Say there's a person who really does have a lot of power. That person is able to bypass their insecurities and their lack of interpersonal skill just with their power. They're able to draw someone in because of their power. And they're able to therefore. Treat other people like objects. They they kind of um, they can manipulate, they can use, they can do whatever they want because they have power to do it, and they can avoid having to face all of their in, own insecurities and stuff by just hiding behind their power. Now those sorts of those sorts of uh, relationships are really really harmful and damaging. But but that's only one 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 type. The second type is when you've got someone who has more moderate power, they're not right up the top of the scale in terms of power, but they have some power. And they also carry their own insecurities. They also carry their own lack of interpersonal skills, but they have to find a way of using their power to overcome their lack of um, self-worth and um, uh, interpersonal skills. And the way they do that is by controlling the relationship. What you do is you try to set up the relationship so that it operates the way you want it to go, so that it means you don't have to face the things you don't want to face. You don't have to deal with the things you don't want to deal with. So you can control what, what what topics are talked about. You can control what the other person does, who they see. Um, you, you you sort of prevent them from doing anything that's going to stir up your own insecurity or your own inadequacy. You, you, you use your power to prevent the, your partner for stirring up or, or triggering any of your kind of lack of skill, that kind of stuff. So a person actually uses the control as a pattern of behaviour to sort of avoid facing their own stuff and blaming the other person if any of that stuff gets stirred up. Okay, so that's that's more common type of, of of relationship where there's abuse but then there's the third one and the third one is a person who has no power at all and this person also wants to be in a relationship but they don't know you know they they and and their their lack of, of worth and and their lack of skills are uh, they can't hide it it's it's there and what may happen in a relationship like that is a person may, in a a time of conflict, they may just shut down. They may just kind of withdraw, run away, not talk, just... Now, you you can call that stonewalling. You can call that ghosting. But you can see that a person who is doing it in this context is not necessarily doing it to control the other person, to teach them a lesson, to try and change the other person, but it's more a desperate attempt on their behalf to try and avoid something that is really, really distressing for them.
1: Well, it sounds like that power is, would you say it's a key part of every relationship or any relationships?
2: I think power is really, really important for any human being. Because, and I I would prefer to use the word empowered rather than power. In my mind, personal empowerment is is when a person has the power to have control over their own life. And that's really important because we're living in a very chaotic, unpredictable, uncertain world. When power becomes a problem is when a person wants to exercise power, not just over my own life, but over someone else's life, where my sense of security, my sense of well being requires me to control someone else's life. That is the crossing of the line that is really harmful.
0: When you were describing the three layers before, it sounded like that middle level really seemed to be where the most manipulation occurred, when they're trying to control everything in their life and manipulate others to fit into their. Sort of box of what they want to occur. So, can you sort of maybe yeah define gaslighting and and how that might look in a in a relationship?
2: Well, see, when we're talking about how a person can use their power to control another person, there are lots of different things that a person can do to achieve that, and and those controlling tactics that are used, they're different for everybody. The perpetrator of the of the abuse chooses the tactics of control that are going to have the most effect on the person he wants to control and also take advantage of his strengths. So, for instance, if he discovers that she's someone that he can really frighten, he can, he can really um, use fear as a as a, a tactic because a, a lot of people are really scared of, of anger and, and aggression. So he will use that tactic. Then you've got um, the other person who recognizes that the woman he's trying to control is is, has, is a really strong nurturing side to her. And so he may try to take advantage of her nurturing side by trying to make her feel guilty or make her feel sorry for him. He will kind of um, play all these sorts of games to draw out that nurturing side of her. And the other thing that he might do, according to his strengths, is if he is a if he's an intelligent person if he's someone who is is quite smart he might use as his main tactic of, of control verbal abuse he will use mind games and this is where the whole idea of um, gaslighting comes in mm. because gaslighting is one of those techniques where you're trying to make the other person question themselves or doubt themselves I mean in other language we would use we would call that psychological mind games we would call it crazy making we would call it brainwashing and that balance on the the continuum shifts love bombing is a really interesting one as well and that's the idea of when the level of affection the level of gift giving the the level of attention is not in sync with where the relationship is actually at and it's almost like the person is trying too hard to win the other person over Now, there are a number of reasons why people can do that. Patriarchy is very central to all of this because when we're talking about power, a lot of power comes from the belief system that we all grew up with, which is a patriarchal belief system. It's just part of our culture. Whether you're conscious of it or not, it's, it's there and it affects all of us. And patriarchy is this belief system that sort of puts men in a position of authority and power and puts women in a position of, of submission and dependency. And it all applies in, within the context of a relationship. So getting back to love bombing, what happens is there are some men who are working really hard early in the relationship to try and get her to fall in love with him, to commit to him. So he's he's working overtime to, to draw her in. It's almost trying to draw her in to the, to the web. Because as soon as she commits to him, that's when those beliefs of patriarchy become operational because as soon as she's committed to him, oftentimes the guy at either subconscious or a conscious level carries the view, I now own her. She now is mine. And so, therefore, I can do what I want. So the love bombing is the way of drawing her into that. Mm. So
1: I guess coming back to the continuums so someone who for example would use fear as a tactic um, on like their partner in an abusive relationship, where would they sit on these continuums in terms of you know their self-worth, their power and their interpersonal skills?
2: It, it can be anywhere really. I don't yeah. I think that the fact that they're using fear as a tactic is not necessarily a reflection of where they sit on those continuums, yeah. but it may be more of a reflection of what they see as their strengths mm-hmm. and weaknesses. So what I mean by that is um, there are there are some men who feel that when they're in an area that they're not strong on is language. If they're in a conflict with their partner, they, they feel that their partner is better with words than them. So what they then do is that they resort to fear. They resort to anger. They resort to aggression. That's, that's not their area of strength. Mm. So they use their physicality as a way of gaining the upper hand.
0: I, I really enjoyed you saying that because it gives a bit of reasoning behind why men also, even if it's not an abusive relationship, but they just struggle to communicate. And like you said, it's they know in themselves, obviously generalizing, but men struggle to speak. And so they feel so uncomfortable. They try and regain power through what they feel comfortable with. And what they know are their strengths?
2: I'm aware that, again, I'm aware of the age group of the people who are listening to this. A lot of people in this age group are, are at the beginning ends of, of their relationship life. They're, a lot of the patterns that we're talking about are, are not necessarily deeply entrenched yet. And and it's, it's an opportunity for them to kind of um, turn it around. And that's what I'm hoping can, can happen because, you see, I've worked with a lot of people in their 30s, 40s and 50s who are looking back and they can see the damage that they've done in, to, to, in their relationships to their children, to their partners and all of that kind of stuff. And they can look back and they can recognize where it started. They recognize that they're in a relationship when they were in their late teens. There was a time of, of something happened and they chose to use power as a way of dealing with it. He felt threatened, he felt scared, he felt insecure, and he just used power. But what he found is he got away with it. She either she forgave him, she felt sorry for him, she may have felt like she could help him, but he got away with it, which meant then that he could do it again and he could do it again. And it suddenly starts to become a habit. And he's actually made a choice. And this is the choice that I think that, everyone around around your age is thinking I guess needs to be making. and that is I have a level of insecurity. I, la- I have a level of, of self-doubt. I have a level I, I don't feel skilled in, 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 in interpersonal relationship. I have the choice. Do I allow myself to face that and deal with that? or do I make the choice to hide it and project it onto my partner? and make it her responsibility to look after and and deal with. Because sadly, a lot of the men that I, I was talking to about earlier, about in the 30s, 40s and 50s, they made that choice and then it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. It just became so entrenched in them. Whereas for people around your age, it's the time when you can actually consciously make the choice of which way you will go
0: so we've spoken about identifying different relationships and sort of identifying different methods of control and manipulation as someone who may have reflected or or has realized that they themselves are in a relationship that has this um control battle happening of maybe they're a victim or maybe they're also a perpetrator how would then um the narrative narrative of why didn't you just leave relationship why didn't you just walk away how come many people struggle to do so and maybe in your experience what should people do what steps should they take to maybe try and leave that relationship
2: you see the difficulty for those who are actually in the relationship is that often they don't recognize it They, they don't they don't see it and I'm not blaming them for that I'm just saying that that's actually quite common and one of the reasons they, they don't see it is because often people have a very narrow definition of domestic violence or domestic abuse. They think that domestic abuse uh, has to entail physical assault, sexual assault, a high, high levels of threat, high levels of in- intimidation. Or if they don't have that consistently... Then they don't call that domestic violence. They just see it as a relationship problem. Whereas hopefully what we're helping them to see is that we're thinking of domestic abuse as a very broad thing. It's, 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 there's a whole range of different things. And a person can achieve control over another person without ever resorting to any of those really overt um, uh, behaviors like physical or sexual assault. So oftentimes people don't see it second reason why people often don't identify themselves in, in dv is because they they love the other person and they really want it to work and they believe in the other person and they and they want to feel that they can make a difference to the other person they they care and they still have have this hope and um and so because of that they try to play down the abuse and they they sort of say, well, it's it's okay. I can I can help him with this. It's it's all right. So they play down the abuse, and they and they overstate their ability to deal with it, and they understate the negative impact it's having on themselves. It's like you kind of just caught in something because of the hope that you have about the um, the, the love. It's that very thing that others don't understand. You know, many people sort of say, well, if someone did that to me, I just would leave. You know, I don't know how they put up with it. Why don't you just get out? But what they are not taking into account is the emotional connection, the hope and the belief in this particular person. The third reason why oftentimes they don't recognize it is because of the gaslighting. They've been trained by the perpetrator partner to see the relationship the way he wants it to be seen. The word I use for gaslighting is brainwashing. What is actually happening is if you want to control somebody, the best way you can control somebody is controlling how they think because if you can control how they think, you've got them.
0: How hard is it for someone to step out and and look onto their relationship and try and see if they're in an unhealthy relationship?
2: Tragically, it's often hard for someone else to help her to see it. She has to be able to see it for herself. She actually starts to see through the perpetrator's lies. It's like she comes out of the hypnosis sort of thing. And oftentimes it it takes time for that to happen tragically. But when when a person is at that point, that's when it's really great to offer some support at that point to sort of affirm what the woman is is now saying and always to be there on hand to, to help her. It's always trying to stay, stay close and, and maintain the friendship. You can just help, her, help slowly draw her out of it, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so it's like walking alongside her and, you know, slowly, you know, just being there until she gets to the point where she kind of takes almost like the blindfold can come off slowly as well.
2: Exactly. Blindfold's a good word.
0: So it's not about heroically saving someone. It's like Sarah said, standing by them, standing next to them and then ready to just sort of, yeah, consistently be there. Exactly.
2: I mean, this is really awful and I wish, I wish it wasn't like this, but it often happens this way, that a person has to come to the point of seeing that his, what he's doing is not love. And, and so oftentimes when, when the woman begins to see, well, the, the fact that he's done this to me again is an indication that he does not love me. And sometimes they need to experience another episode of abuse to sort of open her eyes to that kind of reality. And it's a it's a significant turning point for for women when they're able to sort of see ah what he has for me is not love, and two it is not my fault. Mm. These are these are experiential things. They're, they're things you can't just talk someone into. It's something a person has to experience for themselves.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like like you said could take a really long time. You you might even feel quite hopeless when you're you know that person walking alongside the other, and it's been it's been years and years. But it sounds like it's like helpful for you to um unpack those three things we talked about with domestic violence particularly you know understanding actually this person's like the victim's whole identity has been formed and shaped for them and they have to see through that and cut through that and that's very hard to do
2: and that's why I I really am enjoying having this conversation that we're having because hopefully we can be talking about some 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 preventative things we're we're taking steps to help people to not get involved in these relationships to not be a perpetrator of these sorts of things and and to find a way of 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 stopping it if if they're in the early stages of it before that's gotten too far
0: Mm, i was just about to say about the whole idea of cure-based versus preventative and we've spoken about how in terms of the the spectrum men often uh, have that stronger sense of power but then that lacking sense of communicative skills, how do you think young men could try and learn to increase that skill in communication before so that they don't resort to those acts of power manipulation and then get into the habit?
2: Yes, I think it's it's first of all, normalizing the problem and starting to talk about it openly and seeking help. Uh, And I know I'm making a broad generalisation, but the stereotype of boys is they're socialised not to seek help, to be really independent and just try to bluff your way through stuff. So hopefully what we're talking about is trying to change that kind of belief about masculinity, about being self-sufficient and normalise the idea of asking for help and receiving help. We need to have an idea of what a healthy relationship is so that then we can contrast that to an abusive one. You see, a a healthy relationship is not one where people all have good self-esteem and all have good interpersonal skills, because if that was the prerequisite for a relationship, most people wouldn't be in one. Yeah. (laughs) So the the reality is is that we need to find a way for people who have low self-esteem and who have poor interpersonal skills to be in relationship. And, the, and I think it's possible, it's very possible, as long as there is this openness about this is who I am, this is who you are. We are both struggling with this. How can we help each other to develop and, and grow and heal from our upbringings, that kind of stuff? So I think that's a very healthy way to have a relationship where there's that kind of openness and honesty between, between um, the two in the relationship. That's kind of challenging the rules about masculinity. But that's what we're actually asking, isn't it?
0: Mm. And, And for people who aren't in a committed relationship, do you believe it starts with setting those skills and those strengths in friendships and familial relationships?
2: Definitely. That's why social friendships, hanging out in groups, is really really great because that's hopefully where you can start having these start having these conversations.
1: That's really helpful, um, yeah, for us to do because I think as you were talking, the question that went through my mind all the time was like, well, how do we make this change? Where, but you know, a few people in a very big world, and yeah, it's about that one to one relationship we have with the people around us. I mean, perhaps idealistic to think, but you know, from us we kind of have those changes in relationships where we're actually open and honest about, yeah, I actually don't have very good self-esteem or I don't have very good communication skills because of these things, but that openness to share with one another and in that hopefully affect so on and those around us too. And it just like kind of keeps going.
2: Now it's, you're right. Now what's important that um, though, Sarah, is that the, the danger is sometimes you might be sharing with, with some friends and everyone's sort of resonating and saying, yeah, I, I feel the same and yeah, I, I feel the same, but, but nothing's coming up in terms of what can we do about this. And this is where it, taking the next step of saying, okay, so I'm going to go try get some help. Um, and it may well be, you know, looking for, for books or uh, joining a small group or seeing a, a counsellor or a psychologist or something like that. But it's, it's being willing to take that kind of step and seeing that there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a really healthy thing to do.
1: Mm, so like that openness and then that willingness actually to go seek help, to change in a way or yeah that just like i guess vulnerability to ask someone for help in doing
2: that exactly and I, I guess the other point I want to make is to recognize that those sorts of um, struggles are not indicative of a fault or a problem with the person it's not as though it's sort of saying that there's something wrong with you I mean when we're talking about low self-confidence and low self-worth, that is not something a person is born with. It's something that happens to somebody. But people think that it is what they were born with. They think that this is who I am and that's why they don't seek help mm-hmm. because how can I change something that I'm actually born with?
0: Mm. It's almost like this is a large, the large scale issue of domestic violence and healthy and unhealthy relationships is achieved through individual micro steps. Like it's a collective individual basis. Mm.
2: And, and I agree with the whole idea of micro steps. Hmm. It's not, it's something that's going to be overcome and dealt with in a, in a week or something like that, but it's just a, a process that you, you just, you start on and you just keep going hmm. and and you take your micro steps.
0: And taking those steps will then also back to that spectrum, increase your own self-worth. And then suddenly the balances start to start to line up.
2: Exactly. And, and so therefore it's as long as you're heading in the right direction. Mm, yeah. For
1: you maybe, what, what do you want people once they've heard this podcast to walk away with?
2: I'm really feeling very privileged to be invited to be um, talking with you both because I feel like what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to talk to my younger self. I'm trying to talk to me when I was your age. Mm. And I'm trying to sort of give to me the information that I didn't have that I wished I wish I had, mm. and um, so to try and create that 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 very strong sense of, of of positivity and excitement and and thinking really hopefully about the future, and yet and not being put off by the struggles and the difficulties that that are there, but just to to own them and face them and deal with them and grow through them. Mm. I think that one of the things that people often refer to when they're talking about a person who's abusive is that they think it's part of their personality. They sort of say, does a person have a narcissistic personality or do they have some other kind of disorder or some other kind of mental disorder? my experience is that even though there are some who do the majority of people don't have any kind of disorder what we're talking about is not something about a person's personality we're actually talking about something that's more socialized mm. it's the way we've been raised it's the effects of living in in the world we live in rather than our our own you know the person that we actually are mm. And I think that's a really important sort of thing for people to sort of be reassured of.
1: Yeah, and I think that makes me feel quite hopeful in you saying that as well, that actually these changes can come from all of us as a collective. It's not just something that we're stuck with forever. So that actually gives me, you know, a sense of hope that change can be made. Thanks so much, Greg, for being a part of our um, episode. It's been, yeah, really insightful for us to speak to you and I'm sure for our listeners too, yeah, to hear from what you have to say on this topic.
2: Yeah, I, I heard the words of help.
1: Well, I thought that was a really great interview and I feel like I've learned a lot from that. Yeah, I feel like particularly the continuums were really helpful in just putting like domestic violence in a context too. I mean, as someone studying social work a little bit, I have learnt about domestic violence and like done some subjects on it but I thought that was um, like a new way of looking at it as well. It felt very palatable. How did you find it?
0: Yeah, I agree and as someone who's completely outside of that world, I thought he made it really approachable, brought a simplified idea to such a huge topic that is so hard to sort of conceptualise why people do things, especially if you don't have those tendencies yourself. You can't quite get your head around why people do it or get themselves into those situations. So I think he made it himself and I thought it was really effective.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I um, pictured the continuums – well, I mean they were like horizontal, like three sort of like horizontal continuums
0: Yeah, in a way. It was like in Sims. Everyone has their own little three bars ah. and, it, yeah. and, and, you know, it goes up and down yep. depending on how you're feeling that day and if you've learned a new skill. <laughs> um, and I think I also like the idea that it was continuums and like spectrums and all those kind of themes and words, is they're fluid. They're fluid and not concrete and forever moving.
1: For us listening, we can move, right? It's like we can improve on, you know, interpersonal skills throughout our life um, or we can improve on our, you know, self-worth and self-esteem and, yeah, there's the ability to, like, move forward, which is great, hey?
0: And also you can move backwards. Yeah. Like it's – and that's a natural thing to occur. It's not a one-way road. Yeah. There's lots of transformations you can go on.
1: That's so true. Hey, actually, now that you said that, I think when I was saying that I pictured us like, as you get older, you naturally just like build up those steps. And, you know, once you hit like 60, ding, you've done it all. But actually that's so true in that you probably, you know, as you go through different stages of life, like, you know, finishing school and like starting uni, you probably change in what you think of yourself in your self-worth and identity. And, you know, next stage of life, for example, like full-time work, you probably change then. You go into, like, motherhood and, like, parenthood. That probably changes things around too.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think they also, like, when we were talking about the other aspects of domestic violence and Mm. some of the methods and motivations behind different acts, I thought the Continuums also really um, brought context to it and brought an extra level of understanding, Mm. which I really enjoyed as someone who, yeah, hasn't really done much research or isn't really involved in this space.
1: Yeah, it was probably helpful with the continuum in linking to like elements of domestic violence, such as like financial abuse. Well, he talked about the different reasons why people can't or don't leave a relationship and one of them being that they actually love the person and they have hopes for that person like changing. The other one of feeling trapped as well. And I guess when we think about the power continuum, having power over someone financially, that's going to really restrict their ability to leave an abusive relationship because they don't have access to those resources. So I thought that was helpful.
0: That was the part that, you know, I found the most emotional when mm-hmm. we were talking about how to support friends and and family. And when he, when Greg sort of said there isn't uh, rip the Band-Aid fix. it was very much you have to let the person develop. Yeah. And I thought that was that idea of it's almost counterintuitive mm. to say there's very little ways you can help someone. Um, but I think it was really important to say because it hit me pretty hard. Yeah, you know, we all like the idea of s- swooping in, being the hero. Yeah. I'm. You know, I'm your best friend, solve the problem. But the idea of just supporting and being by that person yeah. patiently is tough, but I think it's it was important for him to say.
1: Yeah, it was because we kind of want a solution, right? It's yeah. like just go do this or just call these people or these services will just kind of magically fix what's going on. But actually it's not like that. And, you know, walking alongside – well, he talked about walking alongside someone and that could take a really long time actually.
0: Yeah, and, and another point that I thought – was really impactful was when he mentioned his clients yeah. that are aged, you know, from 30, 50, whatever. Yeah. And they reflect and recognise that their habits started in the age bracket that we're in now, which yeah. sort of sort of brought extra meaning behind the conversation we were having because mm. it's sort of, you know, where it's so important at the moment. And, like, the idea of making the conscious decision that are often more difficult and more vulnerable are often the the correct ones leaning into those situations. And like this conversation reiterated to me that it's often easier to lie or to run away from issues that we're scared to address, but sort of relating it back to the ideas of empowerment and those continuums, that learning to stand your ground and learning to be able to set boundaries and to effectively communicate are actually the strongest ways of forming healthy relationships for both and everyone involved in your life. Now's the part of the episode where we go to Nina, our resident resource giver. Hey
3: everyone. Today we discussed how an individual can use power to bypass their insecurities. This is often to avoid dealing with feelings of shame, lack of self-worth or poor interpersonal skills. If you feel like you're struggling with these things, speaking with a professional could be a great option. Receiving support from a psychologist can give you the space to work through challenges and trauma, improve your relationships and aid in achieving your goals. To access a counsellor or mental health professional, talk to your GP about creating a care plan. They can assess what you'll need and this could include referrals to individual or group sessions with a psychologist, social worker or other health practitioner. Once you have a care plan, Medicare can provide rebates so you won't pay the full cost of each appointment. Your plan will cover six sessions and additional sessions can be accessed after a review with your GP. Headspace have a great outline about getting a mental health care plan and we've linked it in the episode description. Today we covered some really heavy content. If you can identify patterns of abuse or violence in your relationships, it is so important to realise you're not to blame and to seek help. 1-800-RESPECT is a national sexual assault, domestic violence and family violence counselling service. If you or someone you know is a victim of abuse, you can call 1-800-RESPECT or chat online 24 hours a day. They specialise in safety planning, counselling and link to many support services. Relationships Australia also offers counselling services for families, victims of domestic violence, couples and individuals. And finally... See What You Made Me Do is a three-part documentary presented by investigative journalist Jess Hill. It's a really powerful and educational piece. Links for all these resources are in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. This episode of Mates and Dates was hosted by Edward Giles and Sarah Sue. Producers are Donna Siramana and Jen Trimstra. Executive producer is Stephanie Aceglave. Additional production and mixing by me, Nina Longfellow. Special thanks to Natalie Patterson, Lily Giles, and of course, Greg Yee. Check us out on Instagram, at MasonDates. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next one.